So a few chapters before where we find ourselves this morning in Luke's gospel, Jesus had turned and began to face towards Jerusalem. That's the New Testament's way of saying Jesus had turned and was preparing to make his way to the cross. And so as Jesus turns and as he begins to move towards Jerusalem, the crowds around him are building. And so you have the the disciples, his 12 students who are following him, but then you also have a growing number of people who are with him. Um, And all throughout Jesus' movement towards Jerusalem, he's been teaching everyone um, that they should somehow in their lives reorient themselves towards God. You know, before the incarnation, before Jesus was sweet baby Jesus in the manger back at Christmas and that story that we love so much. Devotion to God meant adhering to the law. It meant following the law that had been given by God to Moses. The 613 different pieces of the law that are found in the Old Testament. The problem, though, with that is that time and time again, humans had proven that we were unable, we were unable to follow all 613 of those laws, and thus we were not holy, and thus we were, could never get as close to God as God wanted us to. So through the incarnation, Jesus revealed that in this separation, though, this separation that we felt, was one-sided. That God had always been with us. And now that, through Christ, would be fully revealed. Jesus was calling people to back, to living living with full confidence, living in God's good purposes, not only for their lives, but also for all of creation. Remember, we can look back to Genesis and God created this and then that. And at the end, God said it was good. Not mediocre, not average, not eh. It was good. God created us for good purposes. And God promised not to leave us alone, to our, either to our own devices, our own imagination. The problem, though, is that God's good purposes don't always match up with the desires that we conjure up in our heads. God's good purposes do provide for our daily need, which is why Jesus gave the disciples the line in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus was teaching this and revealing this through parables. And parables are not always cut and dry, but Jesus is using these parables, these simple stories that the people around him would have understood because they knew and lived in the context in which Jesus was telling them. Jesus was revealing heavenly truths by using earthly means. Jesus was not telling fables with ironic trick endings to throw people off. Rather, he was revealing the true nature of the kingdom of God using stories that this growing crowd, along with his disciples, would have fully understand. So Jesus is teaching, and a man approaches him. Much I like to think of this guy as like a heckler during worship, or during Sunday school, or during a lecture at a school. Jesus is teaching, and this guy interjects, Jesus, I've got a family squabble. 
the dividing of assets after a parent's death. You can talk to any family attorney and they will tell you that this moment in a family's life causes harm, feelings will be hurt. But especially 2,000 years ago when the cultural norm was for the oldest son to receive an extra share in the family assets. And this was not... Um, to favor the oldest because the oldest is best, which is true I, as an older sibling. I know this. We are the best. But this was a practical means. This was to ensure that the family wealth and the family name would live on. It's not that this child was indeed uh, the family favorite. This was a practical matter. So the younger brother had received what was due to him by the standard of the day, but he wanted more. The younger brother approached Jesus with a question, question of greed. But the brother did so in a way that he cloaked it in seeking Jesus to insert fairness into a family dispute. And Jesus chose not to intervene because after all, Jesus is not some celestial genie that's going to come down and grant us three wishes and do show tunes and Robin Williams' voice. And Jesus is also not a judge. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus was the savior of the world then and Jesus continues to be the savior of the world. Now, all of creation is included into this. And Jesus was revealing God's purposes for us. Jesus was not focused on patching up small family disputes or incidental injustices. Uh, there's a, a now deceased Episcopal priest. His name's Robert Capon. And he put it like this. He said, Jesus's ministry is the bearing of the final injustice. Death. And the raising up from it an entirely new and reconciled creation. That is what Jesus was here to do. And so after his unwillingness to settle the family squabble, Jesus then moves into his parable. A parable of a rich farmer who hit the agricultural jackpot. We know that he was rich, as Jesus tells us from the beginning. And so he had been having uh, good fortune throughout his farming career. Uh, and then he hits the bumper crop. He hits the jackpot. The abundance that he had in no way compared to the yields that he had had in his previous harvest. And this was not something he could have ever imagined happening. So what does he do? He tears down that which he had already built to have more storage for the things that he had pulled from the ground. He had abundance on top of abundance. His store of grain and goods was so great. It was so great that not only did he need more storage for it, but he also made plans to take a hiatus. You could call that a summer of renewal leave if you wanted to. And he was going to eat, drink, and be merry. The word fool that Jesus uses seems like a throwaway word. Oh, you fool. And I'm sure many of us hear this directed at us time and time again. But this word fool is only used four times in the Gospels. Twice in Matthew, twice in Luke. And each time the word fool is used, 
It is used to describe a behavior or a person engaged in a behavior that is contrary to God's good purposes for creation. More often than not, it was directed at the Pharisees, people like Jeff and I. Foolishness, according to Jesus, is not just it's not just a flippant attitude, but instead it's an obsession. It is the desire for more and more and more for the sake of having more, not because you need more. We like to call that greed. A need for more wealth just for that's own sake. We need to be careful when we read this parable because Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not saying that wealth is wrong. And that is where we get tripped up with this, with this parable. This is not a parable telling you that you need to sell off your possessions and give all the money to the poor. So we're safe for now. Jesus is warning the younger brother. Remember, it's the younger brother who asked the question. He's warning this younger brother that the possessions that he has and his desire to have more have possessed him. Jesus is telling us in this parable that if we are not careful, the possessions that we have and the desire to one day have more and then have more and have more will possess us. The wealth accumulated by this rich fool blinded him to his own foolishness. Foolishness in tearing down a barn. If you're tearing down a barn and there was stuff in the barn before, where do you put the stuff that was in there? And so in the process of tearing down what he already had, he placed his other possessions in risk for the sake of accumulating and then there's the rich fool's usage of first-person language, along with his renewal leave with no end date in sight, that triggered his true intentions. He wasn't storing up his grain and goods so that he would be prepared for famine, like Joseph told Pharaoh to do back in the Old Testament. He wasn't storing up all of these possessions, so that if something happened, a natural disaster, uh, a war at the time, that people could come to him for aid. He wasn't doing it so that if people came to him in the middle of the night because a friend showed up and they needed three loaves of bread, that he would be able to provide. So simply put, this rich fool was a rich blind fool, unable to see that what he had gained, what he had in his possession had now possessed him. So let's jump back to my buddy, Robert K. Brown. We're not really friends. He died before I got to know him. But I, I would like to think that we would have been good friends. Here's what he said. He said that in the eyes of Christ, all of us, rich and poor, are nothing but, quote, unreconstructed rich people. What k is getting at is that at some level, all of us are rich because we live in a world where greed, extreme greed, is the driving force behind the systems that created things that we then depend on. You know, like things like IRAs, things like second homes, things like cars that just sit in our driveway and we drive them for fun. We clutch 
to our lives and our own purposes for them, the purposes that we, I, have made for them, rather than living into the new life that we find in Christ, the life that we were clothed in, St. Paul says, when we exited our baptismal waters. Here's what he wrote to the Colossians. He said, you, Colossians, have clothed, clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. Once we clothe ourselves in Christ, we are no longer fools because we live the knowledge of God's good purposes for creation, including us, inaugurated by Christ's death and resurrection. This fool remained consumed until his death, which he wasn't prepared for, as I would imagine most people are not prepared for. He was consumed with this wealth to the point that he lost his soul to that which had demanded so much to him. The they Jesus spoke of refers to the possessions that had taken over his life, claiming his soul. The rich fool was in this life only rich. And when he died, he found the cruel reversal, the reversal that his wealth would never have warned him about, that in death, apart from God, we die in poverty. And it's a cruel reversal to the story that once you realize it will real rearrange the mental furniture you've established for yourself in your head. But in Christ, we discover that the poverty we enter into at death you can't take it with you. And the sad comprehension of this cruel reversal then turns into good news because of Christ. Because just as Christ revealed God's good purposes for creation in his earthly ministry, so too it is for us to have clothed ourselves in Christ at the time of our death. There's, there's nothing left to do. There's no barns to take down. There's no barns to build up. There's no garages to build in the back of your house. house. But instead, through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are invited to lean into God's good purposes revealed to us by Jesus. And now we just await the day when the fullness of God's new creation, made possible through the faithfulness of Christ, is finally revealed. Thanks be to God. Amen.